Hey everybody, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Not sure what episode number this is, but this week I have the pleasure of interviewing my co-host, Ben Ueda. What's going on, brother? Not much. Just hanging out at my parents' house here, just a little bit north of Santa Barbara, yeah. and uh, enjoying doing these in-person interviews. I know. Uh, if you didn't, if you missed last weekend's episode, uh, we just got done recording that, and that was kind of Ben interviewing me. So this time we switched it up. We put him in the hot seat. Yes. Also, the seat that occasionally makes farty noises. Yeah. So it, he doesn't fart. They're not all farts. Let's just say that. <laughs> they're not all farts. None of them are. <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, so one thing we talked about with me was just kind of one of the topics was starting. Like mm-hmm. what did people think? What were, what were your aspirations going into it? And basically why did you start what you did? And I think we come from it at totally different angles. Yeah. Not, not necessarily like uh, why we did it or uh, motives behind it, but just the situation we were in and the, the surrounding situation. So I come at it from... I was in school, didn't really have a job, and I knew that what I was going to school for wasn't what I wanted my job to be. You come at, come from it having, I mean, started successful businesses, sold a tech company, made really good money. Yeah. So you're going from, you know, just take it from there. I yeah, so I think, I think there's a lot of ways to sort of figure something out. Yeah. I think you can figure out by what you want to do, and I think you can figure out by what you don't want to do. Right. So I came to this sort of path by a combination of both. So I sort of had, in my previous business experiences, uh, starting a design firm, an architecture design firm, which is a business that runs as a a custom service provider. So you get clients, the clients pay you money to design a project, and then you're always looking for more projects and more clients, and then you try to fulfill them as efficiently, Mm -hmm. elevate yourself through publishing uh, your work, and so on and so forth. And then I had experience in tech where I was, you know, using the internet as a way to take other knowledge bases, in this case, architecture, and reach a big audience really fast over the internet and then monetize that through marketing or sort of media business models. Right. So when I sort of sold that company, which was called Free Green, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, I sort of did an inventory of the things I had learned over my sort of 10-year-ish career. Yeah. And I had learned that I love design and I'm pretty good at it. I'm not the best at it, but I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I also know that my background always impacts the way I design. I went to to design school with people that could design the most incredible things and it didn't worry them that they didn't know how to build them. I could never let go of that. I could never just do total like fantastic, crazy design. I'd always have to know, okay, wait, how am I going to make it? Right. so that can be a little bit of a hindrance sometimes at, in design competitions where you just have to create a fantastic rendering, but we'll figure out that later. Um, so I wanted to figure out a, a, a career shift where I could use that my own constraints yeah. as an advantage. I also knew that I wanted to design things that uh, my family could have afforded when, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Grew up with on very modest means. So those were the main sort of uh, first two things. I knew that I believed fundamentally that people were going to consume more of their media content online, on their phones, on computers, rather than television and magazines. Pretty safe prediction. Yeah. I knew that the people that were had a lot of power and influence in producing old media were tended to be a little bit arrogant and not really giving enough credit to how the new media was changing the requirements for the types of content that people wanted to consume. 
in that they're kind of struggling to fit the space even if they wanted to. Right. Okay. I remember watching HGTV shows and I remember saying, why do I think, the, why do these shows suck so bad? Yeah. And I'm like, it's because they're talking about all these things that I find interesting. Home construction, renovation, design, interior style, lifestyle, you know, customization. I'm fascinated by all those things. Those shows are stupid because they don't teach you a damn thing about any of it. Right. They just show you a before and after. So literally, they take all these interesting topics and boil it down into something that's like, here's how much it cost, and here's what it looked like before, and here's what it looked like in Afrin. Oh, my God, will they finish it on time? And the whole process is lost. And they spread that all out over 22 minutes or 42 minutes or whatever their sort of episode is. So I knew that I was interested in these things. The people that were doing it on traditional platforms were terrible at it, uh, and that anyways that there's going to be a shift towards these new platforms. So saw saw that as a good opportunity. And... uh, I knew that, uh, uh, in particular, in terms of content, that more and more people were going to be consuming video content yeah. as opposed to reading. So I, it, it kind of all became clear to me that I wanted to work with my hands. I wanted to do creative stuff. I wanted to embrace the constraints as a way of reaching an audience, uh, you know, sort of a more affordable audience that often gets neglected by designers. And I want to do that in video as a form of medium because that's what the future at that point was. Yeah. Um, so that led to the thing. I was like, I'm going to start making videos. I really, I hadn't thought at all about YouTube because I posted my first videos all that's on true. Vimeo. Yeah. I so that. Yeah. I knew I was more confident in videos than I was in which platforms. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's because I had sort of seen MySpace sort of come and then Facebook sort of supersede it. YouTube obviously has been way more stable than that. But... I, I, I didn't know that much about social media and the platforms. I just knew those sort of basic outlines. That's interesting. Yeah. So I, I had never really watched YouTube videos. I mean, I'd seen them when people emailed me funny cat videos or people right. getting kicked in the nuts and stuff like so that. So where did you see it going? I mean, I know you put it on Vimeo, but so from my perspective as well, I also had the luxury of seeing you become successful before yeah. I started. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I know you ha- you say you had confidence like in video and in media, but where did you even see it going? So I started on, on Vimeo, and because Vimeo doesn't have big numbers, when I got the first thousand views, I think if I got that first thousand views on YouTube, I wouldn't have thought it meant anything. On yeah. Vimeo, I was like, oh, this is awesome. People are sharing this and emailing this to each other and stuff like that. Um, so I just kept making the videos, uh, building out the websites, had really good plans. Is that what it was you thought? Yeah. It was kind of like an Anna White format where it was like the, the website was what was monetized. Anna White was a huge influence, uh, even though she wasn't really producing a lot of video at that time. Yeah. Um, but That's interesting. You were going to be the Anna White with video. I mean, it was one to, of the things, yeah. Not to like... And a little bit more modern, different it, style, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I, mean, um, I feel like I am oversimplifying that, but just like for the sake of... No, no, it's, it's fine. Anna's a friend, and I think she's. I think she is one of the pioneers of sort of sharing, producing and sharing design for sort of furniture DIY projects yeah. online. I think she'd be, yeah. if you were to do a Mount Rushmore of this sort of industry, she would definitely be one of the four. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, I was producing video on Vimeo, getting into sort of like. I think I re- once I reached sort of like thirty thousand views on Vimeo, uh, I reached out to Ryobi. And sort of said, hey, I used your drill in a video. And then from there, it was just pushed towards getting them as an initial product sponsor. And uh, from there, it was sort of off to the races. Once they said, hey, we're going to give you product. No money, just product. Um, I was super encouraged. And that's kind of, you know, about 
two or three months in, I kind of was starting to starting to really believe in it. The the big audience push came when I finally sort of said, uh, let me just, these videos are doing well on, on Vimeo, but let me just put these all on YouTube. I think I had like eight to 10 videos finished. Yeah. And I just uploaded them all to YouTube, ignored the YouTube channel for a few months, came back and there was like, 5,000 subscribers. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I have... I think something's here. I didn't do a single answering a comment or anything on the, on YouTube other than just upload the videos and I came back and there's 5,000 subscribers. I was like, I'm going to switch to this as my primary hosting service and then that's when the audience building really began. Because yeah. it was less... I mean, so I viewed it this way and I think 90% of the people that start DIY and put videos on YouTube, YouTube is the aggregate that you get found through. But you were just using Vimeo as a hosting service. Yeah. Like, you weren't expecting Vimeo to introduce people to nope. you. Nope. And uh, I mean, a little bit of people from sort of sharing it or liking it and stuff like that. But nothing that's going to be, like, life-changing. But the thing that did actually get me a lot of traffic to the website is that I was... Every time I made a video, I would email it to different uh, editors at different design blogs. Oh. Because this was before, you know, Pinterest really was over. And so design blogs were huge. Apartment therapy was huge. I mean, it still is, but... I feel like there's more of an emphasis on Pinterest and social media feeds now. I think so. So I would email it to editors and say, hey, check out this project. And then they would often post it on apartment therapy, on uh, Remodel Easton. Not so much now because you have they, they know who I am and they find they find it now and they're, they're subscribing yeah, to me. People find you, you don't have to show it to people. Right. But at that time, I was exhibiting my work, right? Yeah. I was saying, here's what I made. Feel free to embed these things. You can You can use them. Um, if you give a link back, great, but not required. And so I was getting really good traffic even without YouTube simply by sort of making content, taking really good still images that people that ran design websites felt was good enough to post and share with their audience. Right. Because if you have all the images that you have all the stills there, you have, you've done a lot of the work for them. They yep. just have to copy and paste it into their site. Yep. So it was, again, it was, it, it's like I've said for everything, whether you're looking for building your audience or whether you're looking to make income through sponsorships, you get those by creating wins for other people. Adding value. Yep. So for the when I wanted more media exposure, I was creating nice packages of content that other people could use to meet their sort of content quotas. Yeah. When I wanted to get ad revenue or sponsorship revenue, it was creating great examples of how their products made making my designs better. Possible. Too. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, in both cases, it's just packaging up these wins, handing these wins to other people, uh, being polite and not frustrated when they politely decline, yeah. um, and uh, just going from there. Cool. So how much risk, like personally, how much of a risk were you even thinking it was? Or were you kind of like at the time, I really, I guess I don't know like the extent of everything, but was it one of those things where you would, you, you would quit free green, or not quit free green, but you were like scaling acquired, back your involvement yeah. with that. It got acquired. Yeah. It so got acquired, so it was I still a thing was... where you kind of you had money to spend and time to spend, or you had you had money a little bit. You had money saved and time to spend, so yeah. might as well try. Uh, I was risking a lot more time than uh, money. Yeah. So I, I I knew that like I wanted to figure out something that I could get really excited about for the next five or ten years was right. was was how I was sort of approaching it. Now I don't make five or ten year plans, but I just said. I know I'm always going to be involved in the designing stuff. I know I'm pretty interested in tech and new media and where that's going. Um, but I didn't know if that was going to be becoming a 
you know, uh, someone that teaches design online, right? right. I, I have a background as a, as a professor at sort of, you know, architecture schools and stuff like that. Maybe it'd be something like that. Maybe it'd be making videos. Maybe it'd be doing these other things. Um, so I felt like I was really risking my time that I spent for the videos. You know, you know that our business is mostly low capital. Yeah. Use your laptop. A $500 video camera is what I had at the time. Yeah. I had like another like three hundred, four hundred dollars still camera, um, and with those sort of you know couple thousand dollars worth of equipment, was making my first videos on the you know with using iMovie uh, software. So it wasn't a lot of capital and or risk in terms of uh, money, but certainly the, the you know that first sort of three to six months of time invested in it, I didn't know if an audience was ever going to come. I didn't know if sponsorships were going to buy on. But I was pretty sure that it w- worked. And again, that's where it's like finding those concepts that you believe in helped me overcome those doubt. Because anytime I had the doubt, I could just say, wait, do I think people are only going to watch more video online in the future? Yeah. Yes. Do I think that HGTV can produce that kind of videos efficiently and cheaply? No. Do I think that I can produce videos that people will like to watch for a very low cost? Yeah. So. Yeah. When you say it that way, it's pretty. You know that demand is trending in your favor, and if you believe that you can provide supply at a reasonable cost that's way cheaper than any agency, than hiring designers and video people can, it's not that much risk. It's just managing the sort of how much sort of do you have, you know, how much time can you put into it versus still meeting your own sort of bills and stuff like that. So, how long until you were successful at uh, it? Uh, you mean, well, let's say know, how long like until, person, like, how long were you like, oh, okay, cool. And I know you talked about, you know, hitting a couple milestones on Vimeo, I or, thought... but like, when was it like, oh, this is really like, this is what I'm going to, cause there's, there's I a... think starting, you have the idea that if this does work and I do it for a few years, awesome. If not, okay, I tried, but at what point were you like, okay, this is working. I'm going to do this for the next few years. I would say I'll give you three different indicators because they all they all never made me feel like I was a success in the sort of final way. Like I'm right. done working, right? Exactly. But what were those? Right. So the three things was, the first one was just having 10,000 people watch a video. Mm-hmm. Just one of the videos reaching 10,000 views. I was like, wow, that's, that's, a lot. that's, that's <laughs> like a, a stadium full of people. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one. Just, just really marveling. And I think we've, we way too often lose, lose scale of that. Cause I mean, we do views in, in, in the millions now, but, 10,000 people is a remarkable thing. If, if you write a book that 10,000 pe- people read, that's incredible. Um, you get a book 10,000 people buy. It's yeah, incredible. You yeah. know what I mean? Let alone read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the first one. Uh, the second one was the first paid sponsorship, yeah. which was Ryobi. And that was showing me that uh, I knew, because step one, I knew that I could reach an audience and the audience liked it. And the audience was willing to share it with their friends, which meant a lot. Yeah. So that was sort of success one. Two was that other businesses, in this case Ryobi, was interested in paying me to do more of what I was doing. So I knew that I had it on the consumer and audience front. I knew that I was attractive to other businesses from the sponsorship front. And then from there, I think the the third one was just when I sort of started making more money doing this than I had in anything else I'd ever done. And that was the sort of the third one is to saying that I knew that the two fundamentals, I was capable of them. And then seeing that translate into a, a good financial and creative situation for myself 
uh, was sort of the third one that was sort of saying that like, no, I'm I'm mixing these two things at a scale that's worthwhile. Yeah. So three years in, four years in. About four years in now. I think it started in 2000, end of 2013. So a little three and a half years. So probably year two was when things got comfortable and not routine, but you sort of understood this is the format that does work. This is what's leading me to leading me to like, yeah, the right, uh, I guess, I don't know the right word I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I'd say with each year I've done things a little bit differently okay. in terms of the, the, how much I experiment with design of the actual physical projects versus how frequently I produce versus whether I focus on really videos I think are really interesting or whether I focus on getting out a whole broad catalog of useful projects. Uh, I've tried a lot of different things and uh, they've all seemed to work. Right. Um, but I think I have different motivation to do them at other times. Mm-hmm. So I'm never looking for that perfect formula of here's what YouTube wants. Again, I never think about algorithms at all. Uh, I was pretty good at math better than most people but not good enough to really be like to talk intelligently about algorithms right um so what what i do know is that when i feel motivated and excited about things i'm super prolific when i'm kind of like going through the motions i find a bunch of ways to check my phone or get snacks and sort of procrastinate yeah so uh for me finding the projects or types that felt sort of novel and sort of switching focuses every once in a while Whatever I lose by that being not optimal for what my audience wants, I'm going to gain by me being more invested in working faster. Cool. So you're growing a team. You've got, yep. obviously, Jesse, who's been working with you for a long time. But Jamie is the Jamie, new one. Jamie, I knew it. But Jamie has been producing videos now. Is that, to, is that so you do less or is that so there's just more overall out there? Two things is to increase the total supply of videos that we're producing. Yeah. And it's also to provide flexibility. So I know that if I have a certain amount of commitments to produce videos for different sponsors, I sometimes that that sheer volume of videos that's needed will keep me from doing an experiment because I'm like, well, I have so much to do right now. I'll experiment later. Right. I never want to push experimentation off because that's how you grow intellectually. Um, and you also discover ways to grow financially and business-wise. So by uh, having Jamie and Jesse also both producing videos for the channel, it if I have an idea that's going to take me a month to sort of experiment with and really figure out, I know that I'm not going to shirk my commitments because I have a team that can fill in videos in that time period. So. Yeah. Again, it's to increase the overall supply, but also to provide flexibility so I can pursue research and development type things. Cool. So you have big ideas. What, what, what are some of the things? Like you talk about you want time to be able to experiment. You want time to commit to bigger things. Like- so one of, the, one of the bigger things is what I'm doing right now out here in California is I'm working on a solar-powered workshop. So yeah. a complete freestanding workshop off the grid where you can make my type of projects and it's all coming from renewable energy. Uh, that's a bigger project. That's going to take that. You can't do that in two or three weeks. days. Yeah. yeah. It's going to take a few weeks. But I know that while I'm out here in California, back in Boston, my team's got my back and they're producing a bunch of really awesome new furniture video projects. Yeah. So I got a couple more questions. We've talked about YouTube. We've talked about Vimeo. But social media is becoming more and more rather than just video hosting. And I think you're growing your Instagram faster than most people in our space. And I don't want to talk about like 
how you're growing your Instagram fast. I want to talk about why. Because mm-hmm. um, there's there's emphasis on the idea that YouTube is it's not uh, immune to dying. You know what I mean? Like no. there's no reason YouTube can't fail. There's... And I know that there's that obvious like you got to diversify, you got to do this. But why Instagram? And why uh, with so much effort are you putting it into that? Instagram's the the channel that personally I I. You check like the you most. Dislike. I like it. I check yeah. it the most frequently. I don't log into YouTube that often unless I'm posting something. Um, I if I do watch YouTube videos on YouTube, it might be for like 20 minutes. I watch like you know three to five videos. Um, but I use Instagram more. And what I so from a personal standpoint, I enjoy it. I like the brevity. Uh, I like the sort of that the network is less anonymous than it is on. Uh, YouTube, so I right. don't I don't get a lot of horrible comments. I get mostly very positive comments right. on uh, YouTube. I'd say maybe like one to three percent are kind of negative. Um, but that on, anonymity makes it still possible, right? Yeah. With Instagram, it's almost I would say you know a hundred times more positive than even the YouTube. Yeah. So. Uh, I like it for that. I also find it's a great way that you can interact with people much better because you can interact with sort of direct message rather than just uh, comments. answering comments that maybe people see or don't see. And comments get lost. Yes. Like if you respond to someone's comment, just because of the volume of it, YouTube, why does it not organize its comments to where if I, re- if I respond to someone's comments, I should, that should be separate should and be. organized. Yeah. But, but anyway, sorry. So I like it for that. And then also... Uh, it creates, from a business standpoint, it creates a whole nother inventory for branded posts. Yeah. And particularly, I really like Instagram stories uh, because I don't want to, I'm proud of like the curation of my feed, my Instagram feed. I, I like the way it looks. Yeah. I like that it's this archive of projects that I've done. I post still images. I post video synopsises. I post little product demos where I show how the project works. But not a lot of fluff. Not a lot of fluff. But the Instagram stories also gives me a way to sort of communicate in real time to what I'm thinking about, what I'm experimenting with, what I'm eating, what I'm doing for fitness, a little more lifestyle stuff. Yeah. And that's also a great inventory for branded posts. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm experimenting with a new uh, whitewashed finish for oak. Okay. I'm not going to make a whole video about that, but I can give a little blast and that'll reach like 15 to 20,000 people in an instance. It only took me 15 seconds to stop staining it and show that, share the product. So it's completely authentic content. It's useful for people doing it. And if they don't like it, it's only 15 seconds. Right. And they chose to click on it anyway. So yeah. uh, I think I think the, the branded posts within Instagram stories are a really great way to sort of demonstrate do product demos to people that are quick and unobtrusive uh and don't clutter up your curated feed that's awesome cool well i appreciate the conversation i feel like i've learned a little bit i feel like i learn a little bit every time i talk to you so uh shout out to everybody listening on our youtube channel or watching on our youtube channel because we're filming if you're not watching it you should have done it it's too late you don't want to watch it because go subscribe to the youtube channel thanks that was what i was going to (laughs) say Uh, if, you, if you haven't given us a five-star rating on iTunes, we appreciate that. Leave us some comments on things you want to know about Ben. If you have questions, uh, give us a comment, and maybe next time I interview him, I'll ask him that. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. If that's what you're doing, have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you on Thursday. Bye, everybody. Bye.